Today is a very special episode, and I've never said that before, so don't worry. This is episode 49, I think. This episode is about me doing stand-up again and how well I did stand-up. Did I do great? I don't know. You'll have to find out. I have actual recording of me right after I did the stand-up routine that I did for you so you can know exactly how I felt after I did that scary thing again. Because, and I mentioned it later in the episode, I am committed, should be committed in a mental hospital, but I'm also committed to making sure you know what the feelings of trying to do something feel like in the moment. Remember, I told you before I was gonna do my first stand-up routine what I was gonna do. Then I talked to you right afterwards and let you listen to a little bit of that stand-up because I think my unique offering in this show is that you get to hear what I'm going through in real time. I'm not a person who is immensely successful sitting in a studio talking to you about my salad days all romantically as I sit there stroking my millions of dollars and my expensive cat. I don't know an expensive cat name, but one of them cats that costs a lot of money. The type of allergenic, because I, uh, I can't have a cat. I don't even want a cat. Why are we talking about cats? Let's forget about cats for a moment and move into this episode, episode 49, because episode 49, I just said twice, is about to start right now. That's annoying. I should stop doing that. Okay. I used to tell my employees when I was a big wig and had a big wig, I used to say it is not Oh my God, is this sounding a little too personal development-y? Remember, this is something I cannot do on this show because uh, it offends the people closest to me, most of all my wife. So let's try that again. When I was an average dude with a normal-sized wig, not a big wig, let's not, uh, let's not brag, Jet. The wig was average. I used to tell my employees when I would speak in front of a large to medium group, it was large, but uh, let's just say it was medium because I'm being humble, which I'm great at. I'd say you are not measured as a salesperson, because that's what they were, by the best month you have, because anyone can win and look good. So basically, you can be humble and win and seem like a good person, but you know it's easy. You already have the victories. Not a hard thing to do. What I measured my employees off of is how they did in their worst month. Did they fall apart? Did they blame everyone else? Did they think about quitting? Did they stop showing up to work? Did they call in sick a bunch of times? Did they have a hard time? Whatever it was. I looked at it as how you do in your worst months. I look at it in life too, but it's not as easy to quantify. When I had guys that, or girls, mostly men, it was you know electronic sales, but uh, that's super not important. It was easy to quantify a good month and a bad month because you had these numbers. So in life, it's hard to tell because someone may be looking like they're having a hard time in life from your vantage point, whether you work with them or if you are related to them, but in actuality, they're doing great and vice versa. Circumstances don't always dictate, and a lot of times in the best people don't dictate how their externalization of life is. But in sales, it was easy to quantify, so it's a good example. I would look at them and see how they did in their worst month, and that is usually how I judge them as far as what they were as value to me as an employee. Because it's easy to win. Anyone can look good winning. I say all that for a setup. What, Chet? This was all a ruse? This was all a shamble dance to get us to hear what you have to say? Yes. Last night, I had a very special thing happen to me, a precious thing happened to me. And let me set the stage. I have been wanting to go and do stand-up again. I've done it 
a couple of times. And circumstance got in the way. Fires, a lot of fires. <laughs> There's a fire right now in Simi Valley. We have like 35 mile per hour winds. What does Simi Valley mean to you? It's next door to us. We're in Chatsworth. Okay. So things. Oh, I was working on set a lot. So now that I've been doing TV and film stuff again, I don't have the time. And most of that is background acting. So again, to take myself down a peg, which is going to be a theme of this show. Mostly it's just sitting around in a soundstage next to a soundstage, talking to people about this show or my experiences on set and advising people and how they should approach the business because most of these people are new to the industry, non-union people who don't know anything about film and television. So I was busy. That's what I'm trying to say. I had legitimate reasons. I mean, there's always legitimate reasons to put off stuff, but in this case, they were better than normal. I'll look at my week and decide whether or not I've been productive. And this is an actual thing because I quantify it. Every day I go into my sobriety app and I make my pledge in the morning. And then in the evening, I review my day and go over how it did. Basically, they have like drop down menu options. And then I put in a little note of what I've been doing. Plus, I write in my journal and all that stuff. And I do this show. So there's a lot of reviewing. So legitimate reasons. But yesterday I went for a run. It wasn't a very good run, only about five miles. And I didn't feel great. But I was taking some notes on comedy. And I said, Mr. Jet W. Dunlap, you're going to go and do that tonight. And when I said to myself that, <laughs> I misspoke and I tried to cover it up. Could you tell? Was that flawless? Okay, you're going to do it. Decision made. My wife will tell you and she tells me. And it's funny because I don't even notice this until I hear it from her in review. And then when she says it, I completely forget it and don't apply it to my life. But she said, Jet, when you actually decide to do something, it's done. When I stop drinking, I don't relapse. The last time I drank after my sobriety run, which was over six years, it was a decision Gina and I made months before, and I would not start until I had passed a milestone in my sobriety. So it was not like I just slipped up, like poor Ben Affleck did the other day. We should go into that later. Anyway, so I decided I was going to do comedy that night. I didn't really tell Gina till last minute, and she says, right, it feels like right before we're going to go, but again, that's just me, the husband, exaggerating things to put more blame on her, which would be unfair. And at least I have enough analysis to say that, right? There, comes full circle. I'm complimenting myself again for being so great. Anyway, she says, why don't you take me to the gym on the way to the comedy club? Do we have two cars? You betcha. Is one of them a Prius? You know it is. We still believe in conserving gas because we are like Jesus in that way. That's right. Again, another way of saying how great I am in a story that didn't need that. So we're going to drive the Prius. I start writing down a totally new comedy routine. I'm thinking, I got a great idea. Why don't I write down a whole new comedy routine? I have this theory. I'm going to do five-minute sets at the same comedy club. Then when I get those five-minute sets perfected, I'm going to work on my 40-minute, I guess, special or overall thing. that I don't even know what you call it, but the 40-minute one. That's what I've decided. Now, the reason for this is a stupid, stupid problem I have, which is I don't want to hear my jokes over and over again, Okay. I don't want to go up on stage and do the same jokes every time and have all these people who are trying to just cooperate with me because they may be doing the same thing. The comedians agree with my comedy. This happened last night. One of the guys did this. So instead of perfecting something that's really good, I want to keep throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks. So I had this idea for a comedy routine. Now, in order to tell you about this comedy routine, I'm going to need to sit back in my chair, relax a little bit and go into how all this happened. So... Like in Wayne's World, that's what they did when they flash back. Wayne's World was a uh, show on Saturday. <laughs> you Google it, okay? Don't worry about it. But anyway, when they flash back, they do that. We're flashing back. Here we go. 
So Gina and I have been more involved in the film and television industry again, and Gina is actually making a go of it. She's making a go of it. She's going to go for that acting thing, which is pretty great because she's beyond beautiful. She's extremely talented, and the camera needs her to put her talent out there because she is lacking in film and television. And I actually believe that. I've met a lot of actresses and uh, talented people in this business, and she is, like I said in one of the other episodes, I think it was two ago, the most talented person I've ever met. Now, a lot of you people out there who are really talented, you're kind of confusing to me, okay? Because my life has been defined by the things I was told I couldn't do and the things that were impossible for me to do. I was horrible at athletics in grade school and high school. As a matter of fact, in grade school, when I played, quote unquote, flag football, I was voted best hair. Does that help? It was incredible hair, but I mean, that's not what you want. My photo holding a trophy that was useless with my big Italian chain that I had, even in my first headshots, that was like this silver chain that I wore all the time, because that's what you did. I had best hair, so I was not talented in that. I couldn't draw. I couldn't. I used to say in religion class, because they'd always talk about every single one of you has a talent. All of you have a unique and special talent. Am I going into the church lady again, Dana Carvey? Why am I thinking about Wayne's World? I don't even like Wayne's World that much. I did at the time. So I didn't have talents as far as I was concerned. And I saw all these people who were immensely talented and I was jealous of them. But here's the funny thing about that. Most of the people who I know, including my wife, who have the greatest talent I've ever seen, she is physically talented. She can sing, she can dance, all this stuff. I'm not trying to sell you a Gina Dunlap. She's already been... I don't want to say purchased, but she's already there. She's already in a situation of ownership, not ownership. All this sounds sexist. What I'm saying is I can't sell you a Gina Dunlap. I have her. She's mine. I'm not trying to pitch you on the idea of her. I just am that amazed by her still. My brother's very talented. Steven, not Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, Steven. Steven's very talented. Okay. When we were growing up, he was varsity at everything. And again, because I'm stupid, I always assumed he got great A's. Great A's? What is he, a slab of beef? straight A's, you big dunderhead. I assumed he got straight A's because I've discovered recently when doing this show that I think that idiots like me think that anyone that's smart gets straight A's. Many of the friends I knew, and especially my family, were very talented people. So talented people are interesting because so many of them my age or even a little younger are kind of paralyzed. And I, I made reference to this in a couple episodes ago, which is that it seems to me that in a lot of cases, and this is the point I'm trying to get at in the point of the point of the point I'm trying to make, the people who are really talented have a tendency not to try as hard because I think that as humans, we excel, uh, how would I put it? Challenge. That's what it is. <laughs> that was the word I was searching for. We excel at challenge. We excel at doing things that stimulate us. Adrenaline. I've talked about that before, which you know produces dopamine and all these pleasure centers. So trying something gives you that excitement. And if everything you try, you're instantly good at and people just praise you for, maybe you're not as apt to continue. Now, ego helps you in this temporarily in some cases, and having a cause helps, or just having a feeling that you've always been destined for something. And I don't know how to describe that in a way that someone could inject that into themselves. That's one of the questions I used to get a lot, which is how do you get motivated? People would ask me, Jet, you seem so motivated. I don't know how to provide that. I know the adversity helped me get motivated, but I can't say go get yourself some adversity. Um, Anyway, so Gina has started to really go after acting and she got this opportunity the other day and it was really weird. She gets hit up by the casting office and they say something about, can you do yoga? So they are going after her. <laughs> they're, they're, they're going after her. Yeah, they're hunting her down like a rabbit. No, they're asking her if she wants to audition for this role as a yoga instructor. Finally, she goes out for this like audition thing and it's her and three other women. Anyway, 
she gets the role. She goes in, auditions, she gets the role. And it's for goat yoga. Goat yoga. Do you know what goat yoga is? Goat yoga is like hot yoga, except it's not hot. It's with goats. Yoga makes it pretty easy. If it's hot yoga, it's got hot in front of it. If it's got goats, it's got goat yoga in front of it. That made sense. So it's goat yoga and goats crawl on your back or something like that. I saw it once on a Groupon, so you can actually go out and do this. I've seen some friends of mine, uh, friends, Facebook friends, <laughs> which is a better indicator for these people are in my life. But uh, I've seen them do goat yoga. So she's going to be a goat yoga instructor. So she did that on Monday and it was on the show Lucifer, Lucifer. So I said, how was it? How was it working with the guy who plays Lucifer? And she goes, oh, he was great. Really nice guy. And she's like, I'm looking at him and he's like, uh, you know, he's not even like better looking than you. You know, you could totally do this. Well, he has a way better body than you. <laughs> I may be putting it in way better, but she said a better body than me. So I'm thinking, oh my God, my wife's going to be taken by the devil in the show. Not that funny, <laughs> but still, it's kind of amusing in my head. Most people uh, don't have to worry about their wives doing goat yoga on set with a beautiful looking British guy who plays the devil. In my comedy, I thought this was a funny thing. Cut two today, which is yesterday. <laughs> Get your story straight, Jet. <laughs> if I was under interrogation, I'd be in trouble at this point. I think this would be a great stand-up comedy routine. Talk about your wife being in goat yoga. Talk about acting. Talk about how you were almost chosen as a superhero. Superhero. Superhero, which is a stupid superhero. I was. I was the superhero because I wasn't picked. Talk about all these stories, right? Hadn't tested these jokes, but they sounded funny to me. Didn't ask Gina about them. Started studying it. Did it a bunch of times, getting ready to go up on stage. Now, it had been a little while in between me doing comedy, but I'm like, I got this. The first two times I did well. The first time I went with Gina, I did darn good. I mean, people were laughing. Gina said, I got the most laughs there. Second time I went without Gina, I killed. So I'm taking Gina to her class. We're back to the day, which is Tuesday, and we're running late. And I'm talking about like where the GPS says you're one minute above the time you need to be there. So 6.01, but I had to be there at 6. And so I'm getting all stressed out because I still have to drop Gina off and there's a bunch of traffic, blah, blah, blah. I drop Gina off at the gym. I go down to the comedy club. I actually make it there. I figure out the parking quickly, unlike the episode where I talked about how I couldn't figure out parking. And I get in there. And one of the guys who comes up when I'm there is this Scottish guy. He has this great Scottish breed. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm from Scotland. And I came here and uh, I uh, got three DUIs. But it's not my fault when you're born a Scotsman, you're an alcoholic. And he thought it was so hilarious. Now I'm describing him, so I don't need to use that accent anymore. The guy was really funny. He was in great shape. I went there in a black V-neck shirt, which is what I've told you. I started wearing a uniform. I only wear black V-neck shirts. This guy's wearing a black tight V-neck shirt and he's more Scottish than I am. So I think that's pretty funny. This guy looks like a bigger, stronger version of me. Plus he's been sober eight years. I've been sober two years. So I'm like, I'm going to put that in my comedy routine. So I write it on the back of the cue card and I'm like, this is very funny. Now are you seeing where this is starting to go into a car crash kind of a situation? Like this is going to be a wreck because I'm coming up with stuff in the room to do right there. So what was I saying? Oh yeah. So this guy was in better shape than me and he was bigger than me. And he had more sobriety than me. So I thought, I'll put that in my in my routine. I got this whole routine. And I'll tell you what that was like in a second. Then in the bathroom at the comedy club, there's this sign on the wall that I thought was pretty funny. The comedy club is a pretty filthy place. I think most of these places are. And it's in a decent neighborhood, I guess. I mean, you wouldn't want to live around there. It's more industrial. On the wall in the bathroom is this laminated sign that was printed out. You know, one of those ones you'd print out of your, uh, a computer. You know what a computer is? You know what a printer is? Am I explaining it enough? And it says, this is an anti-graffiti room. And on this poster in the background, 
it has a surveillance camera. So it's it's implying, hey, you're being watched, you know, like you'd have outside or in, at a park or somewhere like that. And I thought that was pretty funny because it's in the bathroom right above the urinal. So I'm like, is this sign trying to say that you are under surveillance in this bathroom? And I thought that was funny. Are you laughing? They didn't either. So I thought that was funny. And I said, I'll put that in my comedy routine. So I go up there and I lead in with this. Hey, my name is uh, Jet Dunlap. And uh, my last name is Dunlap. Already I'm killing it, right? And that's Scottish. So uh, this is in reference to the Scottish guy earlier. Do you remember him? It was something like that. It was almost that awkward. And uh, I said, when I was leaving for the comedy club, my wife asked me, are you nervous? And I said, no, I'm not nervous. It was a little more elegant than this. I said, I'm not nervous as long as there isn't a more Scottish guy there who has a better body than me, who's in a tight black t-shirt, who's been sober longer than I have. And then I said, so now I'm nervous. The joke was, in my opinion, pretty good, but it's very deep in the sense that I was making a joke about what just happened. But the problem was, I was going up in the comedy club late. He was there early. So there were only about seven people left, and all of them were comedians. So it wasn't going to be a great crowd anyway. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I bombed. I owned it. And what I want to do right now is I actually recorded myself right after I did it on the drive home. So it would be acute. Because what is this show about? Talking about things that are going on in real time so there's no buffer of romance. You know how I always talk about how I think that if you look at something back long ago, you're going to romanticize about it. So here is past Jet driving home from the comedy club. So I just completely bombed. It was spectacular. I had some jokes that were not funny, if you don't know what bombed meant. But uh, I had to tell you immediately afterwards because I wanted it to be acute. Let me tell you how much I bombed. The comedian after me, who's kind of a veteran, he's been there a lot. He said, hey, man, it's a tough gig, but uh, stick with it. He said that on stage for me, like about me. So, uh, Pretty, pretty good stuff. I tried to lean into bombing, so I kind of did some stuff that uh, I normally wouldn't have. But um, it's not because it wasn't funny necessarily. I mean, obviously it wasn't because uh, if it was funny, it would have uh, had laughs. But I did want to tell you while it still was with me that um, it was fine. Like I took a picture of myself outside smiling and it made me feel like it is even more possible for me to have success in this business afterwards because it did not devastate me. So, you know, there's a period at the very beginning where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going terribly. And then it just went worse and you can't bail out. And having to just completely continue with your set that you made up that day when you are bombing is an incredible experience that everyone should feel. Just want to let you know what that was. Now we can go back to future jet. This is past jet. Thank you, past jet. That was great. Where's the lesson in that? So let's say that you have a goal that you want to do and you are really nervous. <laughs> Again, like B Rabbit in, what was that called? Eight Mile. Remember that Eminem movie? Your whole life has been leading up to this and you go up. You suck. You just suck. What do you do then? Well, it's like that song. I fall down, then I get up again and never gonna leave me down. Uh, and I, something like that. You know that song. We all love that song. Great song. And I nailed it. I thought, okay, that's good. The feeling that I had, and I, again, this isn't bragging. It's just telling you I'm very analytical. Obviously, you know that. I'm analyzing myself. Easiest person to analyze because I occupy space in myself's brain. I bombed. I sat down. I watched the last comedian. Stayed there. Didn't leave. And then when I got out, 
I was invigorated. I was not sad at all. I'm like, that was hilarious because to me, being a guy who, you know, <laughs> likes to see things kind of fail because, I mean, you look that stuff up on uh, YouTube. It's a little funnier for me to watch that. I thought it was such an incredible thing to be a part of. And there's so much value in that because the first time I ever did comedy with Sean back in high school, I bombed because he stole my jokes and it devastated me and may have even kept me away from stand up when I was doing improv and all that comedy in between those years between high school and now. I had no problem doing comedy, but I stayed away from stand up because I bombed when I was in high school. This time I bombed and I had a totally different attitude about it because what do I tell you about weight loss? What do I tell you about everything else is that you're going to suck at first. So be okay with being bad at something and hurry up so you're bad at it enough times to be able to be good. Bill Burr, Joe Rogan, Jerry Seinfeld, all these people bombed at one point, right? And a lot of times. And they said it's just a part of comedy. When you do not get laughs and it starts to derail, there's nothing you can do to jumpstart it. It's not like the battery is dead. It is like the battery is not in the car. It was such a fascinating thing to be a part of that there was nothing you could do to bring it back. I just started leaning into it. And I started going, okay, this is going to be my transition to the next joke, transitioning now. I played with it because I was confident enough to know that it didn't define me. And all I wanted to do when I went in there was do the five minutes. This is again how when I preach this, I'm also doing it. And maybe it's because I'm preaching it. Because I do strongly believe that what I tell you to do on this show has to be executed. Long time ago, before I did my first stand-up routine, I told you guys I was going to. And I told Gino, once I told my audience that I was going to, I had no choice. I had committed to it. I had told a group of people I don't know that I was going to do something, so I had to be held accountable. And I did it. So I didn't actually feel it or have to get past the sensation of sadness. I felt fine. But that's what I've been telling you guys to do, is that do that thing that you're afraid of, and even if you suck, it won't kill you. I drove home like I did when I was really good. It was the same thing, but this time I had more of a story, and I'm like, I can't wait to tell my people about it, because it's funny in the retelling. To go up there, one of the scariest things in the world people say is public speaking, then can you imagine having to be funny with your own jokes in a room full of very critical comedians? And I'd done that twice before and I did okay. Imagine doing that and having no laughs. That's pretty incredible. And it was a new experience. And because I look at things experientially, there's no failure, right? So if my goal was to have an incredible experience, mission accomplished, and even more so than if I had been successful. And when I left, and maybe some of this is just theatrical, but I thought, yeah, I know I can do well in this business. I can do well at anything because that was the worst that could happen and I was okay with it. It actually motivated me more. And I don't think I should continue to keep rambling my ramblesin on because uh, I think right there, that's all you need to hear. Thank you so much for listening. I am out of those good old-fashioned words. And I will talk to you next time. Go out there. Do that thing. Because even if you're bad, you got yourself a good old story. Till next time, thanks for listening. I am now and remain Jet Dunlap. <laughs>